This is episode number 27, how to stop caring what people think of you with international best-selling author, Sarah Knight. Hi, and welcome back to the Unconventionalist podcast. I'm your host, Mark. And today I want to talk about a really interesting and hot topic and maybe that's just interesting for me and yet I have a feeling that so many of you out there are probably dealing with the same problem which is how to stop caring what people think of us and it's something that I've seen over and over again by a lot of I guess quote-unquote successful people or people who've done pretty well is that they've managed to override this um, need to constantly seek validation from others and to constantly make sure that what they do is aligned with what people around them want them to do and i think the moment that you free yourself from that prison is a moment where you really start being free and that's why i'm really excited about today's guest and, and i'll give you a short intro in a second and the reason why i'm bringing this topic up right now is that i'm realizing that in my own um, life right now and the fact that i've quit my job about a month ago that i really have to step into this fire and i really have to make sure that I am able to operate from a place where I stop trying to please people and I stop caring so much about what other people think of me because as much as I do that, I'm never really going to show up in a way that's going to be powerful and that, that that's what I believe and I think it's easy to play small and it's easy to be comfortable, it's easy to hide and yet doing that serves no one and this idea that if we stand high and if we speak our truth, if we own what we feel, and we say what we want, and we express what we need, then we'll be an asshole to the world, and, and we're not. And and that's why today today's interview is particularly uh, timely for me in, in, in that fashion, because we really dived into the topic of, of how to stop caring so much about what people think of us. And, and that's, that's one of the aspects we also talked about, what makes a very successful author. And this is someone that has 15 years of experience in, in the book industry, and who went off to become a global bestseller. If you enjoy what you hear today, subscribe to the show and share it with one person you know. Because by sharing it to one person you know, this show gets to spread far wider than I've ever traveled and I probably will ever travel. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. But enough talking. I give you Sarah Knight. Hi and welcome back everybody. I'm here with the one and only Sarah Knight, who's a freelance editor and writer based out in Brooklyn and the Dominican Republic. She graduated with honors from a university you might have heard of, the Harvard University. That's right. She spent then 15 years working in New York City's top publishing houses. That's 15 years of experiences, guys. But last year, she summed up that courage and that enthusiasm to go out into the big bad world and left behind a successful career to go out and spend 100% of her time and energy and focus on her clients because that was the work she preferred most instead of spending time in meetings, running profit and loss statements and eating overpriced chopped salads at her desk. She's the author of the national bestseller, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, How to Stop Spending Time You Don't Have with People You Don't Like, Doing Things You Don't Want to Do. Cosmopolitan have called it genius, and Vogue have said self-help with an edge. It's this book, and it's amazing. Sarah, welcome. Uh, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> yeah. So just to give you a bit of context, it's, it's, it's quite funny how this is happening about a few days ago, uh, my girlfriend uh, goes off on this ho little holiday and she leaves behind a present and I open it up 
and it's your book. And I kind of laugh because I read Mar- Marie Kondo's book, you know, the uh, the life changing magic of tiding or something. I forgot. I forgot what it was. Um, and I just inst- as soon as I started opening it, I was just like, okay. I'm going to love this book. This is genius. <laughs> so um, t- t- for people who, who might not know about you, um, before I jump into the book, because I'm really excited about this, um, tell me a bit more about, so how did you end up in the publishing industry in the first place? Uh, well, I was an English major in college, and uh, I always loved reading, and you know that's sort of why you become an English major, I think. Uh, and so the place to work is in the New York City publishing industry, and I knew I wanted to go where the big dogs were playing. Right. Uh, I also followed my boyfriend at the time to New York, who became my husband, so that worked out. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, but uh, you know, I clawed my way up from a six dollar an hour store and uh, you know books bookstore job and. Um, working for a literary agent for a little yet less than a year and then finally getting a gig as an editorial assistant and um, and then spent 15 years getting to be a senior editor. And, um, you know, it was a great career for, for what it was. And for somebody who wants to do that, I totally understand uh, wanting to spend the rest of your life uh, clinging to that ladder with all, yeah. with all of it. But uh, I decided there was more for me yeah. elsewhere yeah, outside no. of the office. And it, it was it was it was quite impressive. I was, I was looking at all the sort of testimonials from the different authors that you've worked with, and it's just like high praise, flashing kind of like you know you're just you're basically the business um, when it comes down <laughs> to editing. So so it's amazing. So tell me one thing: why 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 do why do people uh, care so much about what other people think? Well, I think that there's this uh, there's this inherent kind of worry and and guilt and shame that you start having in your own head before you've even made a decision or expressed an opinion that other people might not like. So I think that what it really is about is becoming yourself okay with not caring so much or, as I say, giving a fuck what other people think before you can be you, before you can do the things that make you happy. And crucially not do the things that don't make you happy which is really the crux of my book yeah and and there's something that you talk about in the book which i think is really interesting about the uh, feelings versus opinions do you want to talk exactly. more about that yeah so i i talk about how you need to learn to talk to people in what i call the language of opinion and that is um in an effort to avoid hurting people's feelings because I don't want to go around hurting people's feelings. I don't want to be an asshole. Um, I think that, you know, there's a there's a distinction that I make very clearly throughout the book about being someone who doesn't give a fuck, uh, meaning not giving asshole, yeah. your fucks, your time, energy, and money to things that you don't care about, that you don't give a fuck about, um, and being a person who's well-liked and who's respected and who has friends and who, you know, isn't, um, you know, completely sort of ostracized from their family, that's that's one kind of person that you want to be. You don't want to be an asshole. You don't want to go around hurting people's feelings. You know, you don't want to go around saying things that are rude, you know, just for the sake of being rude. So what I say is, you know, learn to talk to people in the language of opinion, which is sort of like, you know, I don't like karaoke. I don't really enjoy that. Like, it, I don't share your opinion that karaoke is a thing I want to do on a Wednesday night with my coworkers. You know, as opposed to responding to an invitation with like, oh, my God, who likes karaoke? Like, that's so fucking stupid. <laughs> you know, like, you don't have to, you you don't don't have have to, to hurt dick. somebody's feelings yeah. in the process of expressing your opinion. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, and it's it's fascinating that, that your book just came at this point in time because I was recently, um, you know, as one does, r- running a man night. And 
we were sort of <laughs> having these conversations with these guys and, and one of the big topics was around this this fear of saying what we really feel or what we really need and and my guess is that it was probably wasn't like that for you all the time I and mean, uh, there was probably a period of your life where you 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 did give a fuck about what other people thought of you and 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 you just totally didn't put yourself first or your needs first or what you what you joy what happened what what was the event that that shifted that well, I started having panic attacks <laughs> when I was 31. And, you know, I think that was really a defining moment. That was a point in my career where I was working for somebody who was very difficult. Uh, and I was sort of, I was, I was reaching a point where I had a lot of autonomy, but also a lot of responsibility. And, um, and my working environment was extremely high pressure, which is ridiculous because publishing is not brain surgery. Nobody's going to die on the table. You know, nobody, no boss or coworker should be making you feel like you're going to pass out from stress, you know, on a daily basis in the publishing industry. Sure. And it was really what it was, was the culmination of several years of, you know, graduating from college, moving to New York, which is a big, scary, crazy place, um, you know, buying an apartment, which is one of the you know most terrifying things that I've ever done in my life, planning a wedding, getting married, you know, moving into this really big job. And um, and all this time I had all these balls in the air. And I've been like that since I was five years old. Mm. I've been type A, people pleaser. Sure. If you want job done right, give it to Sarah, she'll do it. And I would just add Boom. more and more balls. And then of course, the the act of juggling them becomes mm. extremely stressful. And you know, I just kind of snapped. And I think that that, um, you know, that was about six years ago. And between then and now, I, I got out of that job, I got a, a, a better job that was, you know, that that made me not want to die all the time. And, um, and, you know, I settled into my life and I, you know, I got past all those big life changes. Um, and then it was time, you know, to make some more big life changes. And the, the difference is that I made those, the quitting of my corporate job and the moving to a foreign country, um, with this no fucks given philosophy, yeah. uh, made it all much easier and, and much more pleasant. And boy, am I a nicer person to be around <laughs> now. years ago. Yeah, because I mean, I think what, what's really coming across in your book is, is what you kind of touched upon, which is, you know, people make up that if I really tell you how I feel, that I'm going to be a dick because I'm going to make you feel upset. I'm going to hurt your feelings. And this kind of, well, actually, no, because you're being almost more respectful of me by letting me know that you don't, I, I, I don't want you to show it to my, uh, what is it, baby shower? I forgot what you talk about in your book. Right. Baby <laughs> you know, and you'd be miserable for like, Two hours and just sulking in a corner and just wishing you'd be home on Netflix or something, you know? Um, what, so what, what have you noticed in, like, your friends? You don't have to name people. But what have you noticed, like, amongst your friends? You know, some of the stuff that just gets in the way of people um, caring so Yeah, I guess, I guess it comes back to this whole thing about caring what other people think because it, it seems like to be the thing you drill throughout the book around, you know, you really got to stop caring what people think. What do you think gets in the way? Well, I think that people feel, you know, as I've said before, this sort of preemptive guilt uh, about saying no. So um, if you equate the idea of not giving a fuck with, you know, not caring about something and not wanting to give your time, energy or money to it, mm. um, that often manifests itself in saying no, saying no to an invitation, you know, saying no, I don't want to do that job, saying no, I don't want to take on that responsibility. Um, and what I have found uh, in developing what I call my not sorry method, uh, which is a nod, of course, to Marie Kondo's KonMari method, yeah. um, it has two steps. 
uh, step one is identify the things you don't give a fuck about. And mm. step two is stop giving a fuck about those things. <laughs> and if you if you execute these steps with honesty and politeness, then you are not sorry at the end of it because you haven't done anything wrong. You have nothing to apologize for. You don't have to feel guilty. Um, and so if you take the example of, you know, a baby shower, it's it's an activity. I've certainly done a number of those. Um, I don't like them. I don't like kids. I'm not really into motherhood. I find pregnancy kind of gross and weird. <laughs> you don't spend a couple of hours talking about it. Um, you know, one of the things I say in my book that I don't give a fuck about is feigning sincerity. Like, I just don't have the energy for that. Life yeah. is too short. Um, but I, but I love my friends and, you know, I'll send a gift, um, and I will send a timely, you know, sorry, I can't make it. I won't sure. say everything that I just said to you, you know, ew, yeah. I don't want to sit for three yeah. hours and talk about tummy time with your other, you know, pregnant friends. Like, I'll just say, can't make it. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. And I have found that that works yeah. that, you know, people send an invitation to 10 or 20 or 50 people for something. And if you say in a timely fashion, sorry, I can't make it have fun. They're not going to think about it after yeah. that. I mean, I certainly don't think about it when people yeah. can't come to my birthday party. You know, I just like, oh, well, they're busy. What, what, else, what else have you what else uh, were you surprised about the post um, not give a fuck kind of method? What were you surprised about? I guess I was surprised, uh, especially when I did the research into family, which is uh, category four. It's the, yeah. the, the last category yeah. of learning how to not give a fuck because it's the most difficult. It's so the, you it's have the equivalent to, to, to Marie Kondo's pictures and the... the exactly. Yeah. The memorabilia. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah. Family is very difficult. And it's because there is a lot of guilt with family. You know, you're, you're born into this family and you can't really escape them. And um, and there just seems to be a lot more sort of general stress and anxiety involving family decisions. Um, and I think the thing that surprised me most was that I did a survey. I did an anonymous survey through Google. Um, I got several hundred responses. And one of the questions was, name something you don't give a fuck about with regard to your family. And what I was surprised about was that of these several hundred responses, the vast majority of them fell into six categories. So I literally had dozens and dozens and dozens of people saying, I don't give a fuck about group photos. I had dozens and dozens and dozens of people saying, I don't give a fuck about enforced togetherness. You know, I don't want to go to a family event with people that I have nothing in common with and don't like. Mm. And all it's going to result in is a big argument when I could just not go to that family event. Sure. And so the thing that surprised me was that if we all feel this way, why are we still posing for group photos? And why are we still agreeing to go to this cabin in the woods with 15 of our family members when we know yeah. it's going to be a shit show? Yeah. So, um, so when I, you know, when I sort of discovered this and I, I kind of compiled the data and I said, you know, here's how you can avoid doing these things and here's how you can not feel sorry about it. I think that's really part of what has made the book uh, a global bestseller is that, I've given people permission to say the things they were already thinking. I'm not mm. telling you anything new. True. I'm not telling you a way that you don't already feel. I'm just telling you it's okay to say it. Yeah. And um, if we all said it, then none of us would be posing for a group picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it reminds me of, I gave a talk once to a, to a, to a, a, a women's business group and um, I asked them, I took this from Noah Kagan, I'm not going to claim that I was, basically you write on a piece of paper your fear, uh, you fold it, you pass it to somebody else, you pass it again, and then you ask them to open it. And it's unanimous, it's always the same thing. People like laugh because they're kind of like, oh my God, that's the same, that's the same fear. 
exactly. you know, and it's like people start realizing that the person next to you feels just as much as a fraud as you do, or you know, just just. Um, did you expect that your book would would have such a such a good response? I mean, was it was there something when you were writing this going, ooh, this is a little bit edgy, or did you think like <laughs> this is fucking the bomb and it needs to get out there and? You know, uh, it's it's actually a good question. It's hard for me to separate my expectations for the book from a purely sort of authorial perspective versus yeah. my 15 years of experience in the publishing industry right. where I was groomed to be disappointed on, you know, a bi-monthly basis. You know, an editor tends to edit, you know, say 10 to 15 books a year. And wow. you can maybe expect three of those to quote, do well, yeah. you know, whether that's become a massive bestseller sure. or just, you know, sell enough copies to be sort of respectable. And, um, and the rest of them, you know, they, some of them die on the vine, some of them don't catch on for a year or more. And it's sure. very, it's very unpredictable and, and difficult. And I, I always, uh, I always said to my husband, you know, I, I'm a winner and you can't win. <laughs> I, think I need to get out of this business because, yeah. you know, you just can't win. So yeah. when I was working on my own book, I was so inspired by the idea and I was so sort of, um, it was sort of therapeutic to actually write it and put all of these thoughts that I was having and that I have had my whole life into a sort of organized format that I was like, yeah. yeah. This yeah. is awesome. But then the editor in me was like, well, let's manage your expectations. I mean, you know, you know it's entirely possible that yeah. nobody will read it. Um, yeah. So it's actually, it's succeeded sort of beyond my my editor expectations. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I actually think when I was writing it, I knew that I was on something. Yeah, because I, I was about to ask you, because one thing I'd love to pick your brain on is, because a lot of people listening to this are, you know, entrepreneurs, people running their own businesses. And, you know, a book, has a book has kind of become the new business card. You know, it's been over the last four or five years, I've seen this a lot in the, especially like in the self-help uh, industry. Like people will, I mean, case in point, I wrote a book. I think I sold like 40 copies on Amazon, <laughs> if that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but that's a whole different conversation. When, when, <laughs> when you, um, when, when, what would you say is kind of like with your 15 years of experience, what would you say are some of the traits that you've seen over and over again of successful authors or books that have done very well, has there been like a magic trail that they've left behind that you've kind of got, oh yeah, when I see this, I can recognize this? Uh, well, there's something actually that one of my former authors recently put into, uh, into an interview, actually. Uh, so I edited a book called Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Knoll. And uh, it came out last May. The paperback is out now. And it was a big bestseller in the U.S., big bestseller in England. Uh, I'm sure it's been a bestseller in the other territories that it was published in. And the thing about Jessica, which I knew from the very outset, of course, I knew she was a huge talent. I read the first few pages of the novel, and I knew that I wanted to publish it right away. But as I got to know her, she exhibited such a strong work ethic and so much understanding of how to market oneself as mm. a writer, as a public persona. Um, and she she gave this interview to HelloGiggles.com, which just came out the other day. And I actually retweeted it. If anybody goes to my Twitter feed, they'll find it. Um, and in it, she talked about how she understood the importance of that from the beginning, that it's mm. not just about your talent. You know, that's a huge part of it. But it is about having a work ethic. It's putting your butt in the seat. Um, it's writing the words. It's understanding that you have to do things to support your book publication. You mm. have to give interviews. You have to write, you know, free 800 word essays for various online outlets. Right. 
you have to hustle. And I think that that's become more and more and more important in this mm. day and age. You know, certainly in the last five years that I was working as a book editor, um, you know, social media and the ability of an author to project um, their personality into the world, whether it's via an op-ed in the New York Times or, you know, an Instagram profile um, has become more important. And it's how you reach readers. You know, my book, uh, I was lucky to get a lot of attention sort of um, from media outlets, but a lot of it was, you know, mentions because it's a funny book. So it would be in like a gift guide um, and it wasn't really like a review. Sure. The reviews that I've gotten, the really in-depth um coverage has come mostly from bloggers and podcasters and, um, you know, people who were reached via word of mouth who started following me on social media, Mm. you know, who saw a mention of the book, you know, in wherever, like Cosmo or, you know, uh, or Wall Street Journal or something in a roundup and then chose to buy it and read it and really talk about it. So I think as an author, um, it's extremely important to understand the scope of publication does not end with you typing the end on your manuscript it's, um, it, it, it's so true it reminds me of Dwayne Johnson you know the rock they say that when, <laughs> they, when he signs he's one of the most billable actors because when he signs a movie the production house knows that he's going to bring his whole social media campaign behind the movie and he's going to mm-hmm. promote it militantly and I've been following um, a, a guy called Lewis Howes. He's got another podcast called The School of Greatness. Anybody listening, I, I really recommend it. And he recently became a New York Times bestseller. And he basically uh, journaled, I guess, or documented the kind of journey. And it sounds hard. I mean, he was just like, <laughs> you know, you talked about hustle. I mean, he was basically pimping himself out on every single podcast you could imagine, every single YouTube channel, every guest mm-hmm. that he came on. He was basically giving away free talks to companies who bought a certain number. I mean, it basically became like a numbers game. Like it was just like a yeah. huge sales technique. Um, so what, what would you want to recommend to someone who's thinking about writing a book? And then we can talk about you, you as an editor and your service because I'm really <laughs> intrigued about that. But what would be like one of the tips you want to give to like an aspiring author? I think that you have to have a great idea. Um, I have encountered so many writers, both fiction and nonfiction, who have... Uh, written, you know, an entire manuscript um, that is perfectly well written, but does not have a hook, an idea that Mm. makes somebody want to read it. Mm. And, you know, writers uh, have, you know, they, they, they not unfairly, but, um, but sometimes naively consider editors and publishers to be these sort of evil gatekeepers who are just in it to reject them yeah. and just don't want, don't want to understand, you know, their brilliance. And the thing is, we have to sell as well. As a publisher, you have to sell sure. to the sales rep and the sales rep has to sell to the store level and the store level has to sell to the customer. And so we have to be able to sell those books. And if you tell me your book idea and it doesn't sound like something people want to read, then you're kind of dead in the water from the beginning. Mm. So I always advise people, have a great idea, you know, have a concept, you know, have an elevator pitch that makes somebody go, ooh, I want to read that. Because otherwise, wasting an awful lot of time writing an entire book that doesn't actually sound like something you want to read. I I love that. And and how can someone... um, check if their idea is like a is like a like a good idea or if it's got like a good hook like what are the, what are some of the criteria they can look at is is it that you would recommend them to sort of double check well one of the things that when i was an editor um when i read a manuscript that i really liked i 
I knew that my taste was my taste and that there were going to be, in particular, I have sort of a dark, edgy taste and it's a little bit more niche than some of my colleagues who were doing, you know, more inclusive kind of commercial fiction. Um, and so I would ask myself, who are the 10 people I would give this to or who are the 10 people I would buy it mm. for? And if I really couldn't even come close to 10, then I had to kind of gut check my own instincts and be like, you know, I think this is amazing, but it's not probably the kind of thing that is yeah. going to get the general public very excited. And yeah. um, so I think that's the same thing when you're writing your own work, you know, think who are the 10 people that I would buy this book for? If this book were out in the world and it weren't written by me, who yes. do I think would enjoy it? And if I you can't that. answer that question, then maybe you want to rethink your idea. Yeah. And that, and it's okay, right? Like it, it's better to have that question at the drawing board rather than 20,000 words down the line. Yeah. Or a hundred thousand words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So, and so you, you, you quit your job, uh, last year, 2015 and yep. you're, uh, you're out in the big bad world on your own. Um, What's it been like since you've left and, and, and what, what surprised you? What's different about what you expected it to be? Um, I, first of all, it's been fantastic. I was definitely meant to work for myself. I love not having a boss. Well, I do have a boss, but she's awesome. Um, and, you know, I, I haven't looked back for a moment. I haven't regretted it. I recently saw some of my old colleagues and they seemed sort of perplexed that I wasn't like, hey, maybe I should come back. You know, do you think I could come back? Um absolutely 100% the right decision for me. Yeah. Uh, I would say that I'm actually surprised that it wasn't harder. Um, mm. I'm somebody who's very risk averse in general, and I'm somebody who uh, really craves stability. And I always have whether that's financial stability or sort of physical stability, like I don't like living in this Airbnb that I'm living in right now. I don't like living out of a suitcase. Mm. But I learned when I took the plunge, when I quit the job and I sold my apartment and I moved to a foreign country, that it actually, it's not that bad. Like, it's not that scary. It's not that hard. Like, change was okay. And, um, you know, I think the stability, if I can get a little bit like woo-woo for a second, it's really coming from within. Like, yeah. I maybe falsely thought that stability had to come from Bricks outside and of me and yeah. actually is coming from inside of me because I feel much more in control of my life because I'm not bowing down to, you know, an executive committee. I'm not showing up at meetings and having to play office diplomacy, you right. know, and I'm not commuting every day, which is really... <laughs> God, I hate commuting. So, um, so I think it's been it's been fabulous, and then also the surprise was that it just it wasn't as hard as I sort yeah. of thought it would be. Yeah, and 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 so I read somewhere that you you also spend your time in Dominican Republic. Is is that is that right? Yes. Yeah. So, so I my husband and I moved there uh, actually with the intention of spending the vast majority of the year there, but I happen to be back in New York right now because we had some stuff to do. Okay. Um, and we're flying out of New York to go to Europe uh, yeah. in a couple of weeks. So. Good, good for you guys. The, <laughs> the, the book um, has, has, are now, are people contacting you now more about to talk about the book or, or has the book been a, a, a sort of a bridge or a gateway into knowing you as an editor? Um, people are, mo well, actually that's, it depends on how you look at it. People, <laughs> 
a lot of people are contacting me about the book. I get a lot of fan mail every day. It's really fun. Um, I didn't ever anticipate that. Uh, <laughs> and I do a lot of interviews like this and I get, I've been uh, offered, you know, some writing jobs uh, for magazines that have come out of people knowing me because of the book. But I also get uh, requests for, you know, for freelance editing work every day. Um, I'm actually booked all the way through the end of this year, which wow. has been tough because I've had to say no to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, that goes into the last question of like, what was surprising to me? I was so nervous about going freelance before I did it. And then once I did, I was like, oh, my God, the jobs just keep coming. Like, <laughs> so so I think it's like some people read the book and they also are writers. And so they find out that I'm an editor and they've liked the book. So they want, you know, they want to check in and see if they can work with me. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is just people who have, who have loved the book and have no, you know, they don't care that I'm an editor and they have no desire to work with me. They just yeah. are really excited about not giving a fuck. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, I, it, one of the first things I was thinking when I was reading and I saw that you edited, I was like, wow, if one day I write another book, like I'm definitely contacting you as like an editor because I, I, I think, <laughs> no, but it's, it's true. And I, and I thought I thought it was such a, a brilliant way because you've got such a great tone of voice. And, you know, my girlfriend was hearing me laughing. I was just giggling on the couch. She's like, <laughs> she's like why are you laughing? I was like, oh, no, she just made a joke about, you know, she doesn't care about, uh, uh, I think it's like the Pope's latest uh, beliefs, but she likes... Uh, <laughs> Um, Reese Weatherspoon's Instagram. It was just like something, it was just like these little stupid things. I was just giggling along like a schoolgirl. Um, well, that's my favorite compliment because I really wanted the book to be funny. I think it's amazing that it's also inspiring and instructive, but I really wanted it to be funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, and it's, I was expecting this interview to be the same because there's something that I, I find, especially in this, I don't want to say in, in, this, in this world or this sphere, but you'll, you'll meet sometimes and I get to speak to really interesting people Sometimes you'll read a book or you'll follow someone online and then you speak to them and they're really different than actually what they project. And and I'm really glad that this is like a weird comment. <laughs> I'm really I'm glad you're not a weirdo. You know, I'm glad that you are actually like you are in your book. Um, we're coming to, to the, towards the end of the interview and, and I've got a few questions I want to ask you. Uh, bef before I do that, um, I really want to acknowledge you for uh, putting this book out into the world. Um, when I when I wrote my, my book and I got it out, uh, I said, that it was probably the closest thing they'll ever get to child labor, as in giving birth. Um, mm -hmm. And and I know that it's no small feat. And, and to be able to, to go from someone behind the scenes of editing other people and helping people put their own books out there to actually putting yourself out there, I'm, I'm going to guess it might have been a bit difficult at first. It might have not have been that easy. So I really want to congratulate you for doing that. And on top of that, I think it's an amazing book. I mean, you saw it, I praised on, on social media. I've been posting on my different kind of groups. Uh, it's the kind of book that I want to buy for some of my clients or some friends. Like, I can think of 10 people I could buy this for. That's a great <laughs> technique. I love that. So thank you, because it's, 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 it's a real gift and, and a great book. Um, one, of the, one of the few questions I've got for you is, um, what is one thing that most people don't know about you? One thing that most people don't know about me. I think that, um, oh, that's a really good question. I, I think that a lot of people don't know that I um, that I'm actually a really sort of kind and and generous person who really cares a lot about maintaining my friendships. I think a lot of people see me as this kind of very edgy, wisecracking, you know, um, definitely willing to sort of, you know, flaunt the status quo and be. Uh, offensive or, you know, or sort of, uh, you know, for the sake of, of, you know, argument and things like that. But I'm actually, um, 
you know, I, I really value my, my friendships. I, I don't value relationships with people that I don't care about, you know, and that's a thing that I've, I've stopped giving a fuck about sort of accommodating certain people in my life who I wouldn't really consider to be very close friends. But I think that people might see this brittleness uh, in me and, and assume that I am perhaps not as kind as I really am. Mm. I, I love that. Um, what, what does being unconventional mean to you? Um, I have always been somebody, and I actually use this analogy at the very end of the book. Um, you know that, uh, the story, the emperor's new clothes, uh, it's a Hans Christian Andersen, uh, fable. And basically the, the emperor gets told by these con artists that they're making him a suit that is so, you know, amazing and brilliant that um, anybody who sees it, you know, uh, the only people that can see it are people who are extremely intelligent and, and respectful and ambitious and, you know, worthy of him. And so they weave this suit, um, which is actually nothing. It's invisible. But of course, the emperor doesn't want to admit that, that he can't see it because then he would be stupid and not worthy of respect and not worthy of his position. So he agrees to wear this invisible suit and he walks out into the into the town and the townspeople don't want to say anything because they don't want the emperor to think that they aren't worthy of respect and they aren't, you know, smart and all of this. And finally, there's this one little kid who says, but he's not wearing anything. And I feel like I've been that kid my whole life. I've been the one who's who's said, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? Or like. Why, why is this happening and questioning, um, questioning authority, questioning the status quo, questioning tradition. It was a big problem for me when I worked in publishing because I would say, you know, just because this is the way we've always done it doesn't mean right. that it's the right way. Hmm. Um, and so I think that's, you know, uh, to me, being sort of unconventional or, or edgy is the willingness to speak up when I perceive that a prevailing opinion is flawed and um you know and to and to make an argument and to really stand by it um, and have the courage of my convictions yeah i love that there's a question i forgot to ask you earlier which was um do you find that it's do you think it's there's a gender related uh, disparity between people who give a fuck and people who don't give a fuck is that like do women more tend to kind of be more on the oh i don't want to upset rather than men or is it totally the same I do. And, you know, it's uh, it's a very thorny topic. And I, I have um, I'm I have a hard time sort of uh, making these pronouncements because I know that somewhere out there in the world, somebody will think that I've uh, that I've stepped in it. But <laughs> I do I have read actually a lot about this um, mm. topic. And uh, and it's true that women are socialized. Girls are socialized from a very young age to. Um, protect people's feelings and to be liked yeah. and to be nice. And boys are socialized. And again, this is this is a generalization, sure. but yeah, boys yeah. are socialized to win. Um, they are socialized to be the best, to win sort of Com at any cost. Yeah, competition. So I do think that um, it's harder for women to not give a fuck because they are worried about hurting people's feelings. And so what I have tried to do with the book is to give everyone, but I think women especially are, you know, get a lot out of it, um, a path toward giving fewer, better fucks and not hurting people's feelings. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and one thing that people, I, I really recommend anybody listening to this, um, watching this, is to um, to go and buy the book. And one of the things I love is this whole idea of give a fuck as banks. 
uh, like a bank account. So it's like you've got a certain number of, of notes in your wallet of give the fucks. And who are you going to give them to? Because each one you give to someone, you're taking it away from someone else. So it's like... Exactly. If you it's a fuck budget. Yeah, it's a fuck <laughs> budget. That's it. Um, this is a question I ask all my guests. And it's um, if your book was erased and all your blog posts were gone, your podcasts were gone, and all that work that you've done is, is erased. And tomorrow was your last day. And today you could, you could leave behind three truths that you know are truer than true. What would those three truths be? Okay. Um, they would be that, uh, oh, that is a really good question. I wish that I had thought about this before. I feel like I'm about to say something either really profound <laughs> or completely asinine. Um, I would say that, uh, it is, it is true that uh, that intelligence and the pursuit of intellectualism uh, is more satisfying than any other uh, sort of uh, surface level pursuit of you know material wealth and uh, and fame and things like that. I really believe that um, the mind is a terrible thing to waste and that expanding your intellectual horizons is going to, you know, is going to make for a better life for anyone. So that's, I guess that's one truth mm -hmm. that I would say. Um, another is that it is very important to laugh. Um, it's extremely important to be somebody who, who laughs and makes other people laugh and can, uh, can, you know, glean the humor in sometimes even the most dire situations. I think that humor and laughter is very healing. Mm. So that's another one. Uh, and I suppose my third would be go with your gut. There's nobody that knows you better than you. Um, and part of that is reflected in my philosophy where you have to stop giving a fuck about what other people think. Uh, and part of it is just about having confidence. Uh, I think that a lot of people... Uh, second guess themselves and don't trust their guts and I think that that can get you into a lot of trouble so mm. um, expand your intellectual sphere laugh a lot and trust your gut love that people can get a copy of the book the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck on Barnes and Nobles in England you can get them in Waterstones you also got obviously all the online outlets Amazon uh, and so forth. Where do you hang out the most online? Because I have to say, online. Last time I asked that, <laughs> last time I asked that to a guest, he literally started telling me his address, and I was like, "No, dude. I, I mean, like, online. Like, people are going to start." Um, I I spend way too much time on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I uh, I refer to myself as an Instagram animal, uh, <laughs> constantly posting there. So my my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle are the same. They are MC Snugs. Uh, that's M C S N U G Z. Uh, I will be taking the story of that uh, handle to my grave, um, and uh, and people can find me there. Uh, and also, since you mentioned Waterstones, I should say I'm actually coming to London, uh, and I am doing an event at the Waterstones uh, in Trafalgar Square, Amazing. and that is on Monday, June 27th at 6:30 p.m. Okay, if if I'm in town, we should definitely. Uh, meet up uh, and I might be traveling that day but say that date again just so that everyone listens can can hear it again 
Yes, I will be at the Waterstones Trafalgar Square on uh, Monday, June 27th at 6.30 p.m. Boom. You'll be signing books? I will be signing books. I will be talking about how not to give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> and it'll be, it'll be very fun. It'll be magic, taking selfies and yes. all. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and, I, and I look forward to potentially meeting you in London. Great. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for reading and enjoying the book. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's interview as much as I did. What I'm really taking away from this are a couple of things. One is that in order to stop caring so much about what other people think of us, we need to make the distinction between opinions and feelings. And this is something that Sarah explores in greater detail in her book. And I really recommend you guys grab her book and get a copy and give it to a few of your friends because I think if a lot of people could act this way and think this way, we would have a lot less bullshit happening in our lives. And the other thing I loved, and that might be more from a personal point of view, was that in order for you to write a book, make sure you've got a great idea that's going to stick. And one way of testing that is to making sure that you would genuinely want to give this book and buy this book for 10 people you know. If you can't think of 10 people you would give this book to, then you might want to go back to the drawing board. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to let Sarah and I know over on Twitter. You can find our handlebars pretty easily by looking for our names. And don't forget, you can also use the hashtag TheUnconventionalist. One thing I've noticed that really helps podcasts gain momentum and, and get even a bigger audience is by leaving a comment. So if you've been following this, this show and you've been enjoying the content that I've been sharing with you guys, it would mean the world to me if you actually spent three minutes to go over on iTunes and leave a review. You can do this pretty easily on your phone by going into the podcast app. Even if you're already subscribed, go into the search tab and search The Unconventionalists. You'll see on the bottom left, there's a result where you see the, the kind of the thumbnail or the icon of the podcast show. Click on that and there are going to be three tabs that you're going to see. The one in the middle is written review. Click on that and that's where you can leave a review. And really, it would mean the world for me to see you guys leave what you guys think, generally think about this show. I've got some, I've got more guests lined up and I'm also going to be changing the format of this podcast. I'm going to be releasing more of my own content because I know some of you have been asking me to do that. I've also got a few available slots for my one-to-one -one coaching program. So if you're looking to get some support along the way to actually put out your idea into the world and show up in a big way, make sure to get in touch. You can do that by going over on www.markgurus.com forward slash contact. And you can also find me on Twitter and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Mark the Roost. Until next time, you know what time it is. It's time to take action.